So now stand as we go to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Our God who is in heaven, you are the hope of the nations. As we stand before you this morning, Lord, we want to acknowledge our sinful nature. Please forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Teach and strengthen us to follow and obey you. Help us, Lord, to live each day to the full, being true to you, Lord. To believe in the mercy and might in Jesus, our risen Lord. We give thanks, Lord, for the new year. We continue, Lord, to pray for peace, good governing, and working relationship among each one of us here, whether in the workplace or even at home. We pray too, Lord, for our leadership in Singapore, that we will also have wonderful collaboration with countries around us to bring stability, peace, and growth of each one of our countries. We pray like the psalmist that we will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever to make known your faithfulness to all generations. We give thanks, Lord, for your protection and peace as we come to the new year. Thank you, Lord, for protecting us from harm and comforting us in time of uncertainty. We pray that our faith in Jesus will be strengthened and indeed that we will be a shining light for you. This day, Lord, we continue to pray for the mission ministry uh, the talk that Pastor Yacha will be giving today. We pray for those who are attending that they will learn much, that you will bring clarity and provide divine opportunity for them to share the gospel in their workplace or even at home as they get themselves trained to do it. Lord, our hearts are also saddened by the passing away of Madam Gan, Hyok Kwan, mother and mother-in-law of Damien Yeo and Janelle Lee in Malacca. We continue to pray for your comfort to be with the family and especially during this time of bereavement. Lord, we also want to pray for those who are unable to join us because they are sick or they are big ridden or they are suffering from illnesses. We pray that, Lord, you will comfort them. We pray that you will strengthen them and grant them speedy recovery and healing and that, Lord, you will bring them back to worship together. We also want to pray for the art and coming new members' service. We give thanks that among us, there are new members who are willing to step forward to be part of the family. We pray that, Lord, you will prepare their hearts for baptism, for transfer and for confirmation into the family of God at ARPC. We also continue to pray for good progress in our church building at Tengah. We pray for the safety and protection, Lord, for the guest worker there who are helping to build the church as we enter into the final lap of our fundraising in building your church. We trust that, Lord, you are our God of Jehovah Jireh, our God, our provider, that indeed we will raise in full our fund to build your church. We pray that, Lord, not, not, not only just preparing us in the hardware, but also spiritually as well, the software. We pray that, Lord, you will prepare our hearts, you will prepare us spiritually to equip us and so that, Lord, we will be you know, giving us the opportunity to serve you there as well. That indeed we can be the shining light at Tengah. This morning, Lord, we also want to pray for our sermon bearer, Pastor Adrian, to bring forth your word. We give thanks for his family and children. We pray that, Lord, you are blessed and protect them and continue to give them the joy of serving and loving you. We also want to pray for our hearts to be ready to receive your words. We continue, Lord, that... You know, to, that we will continue to prepare our hearts and strengthen our faith, that indeed we will be steadfast in our prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving for many divine opportunity and appointment given to us to share your love and to bring forth your good news, to declare the mystery of Christ 
and to help fulfill the great commission that you have given to us all. So we ask that, Lord, you keep our hearts still and uh, ear open to listen to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture text is taken from John chapter 1, 1 to 18, and I shall read to you before Pastor Adin come forward to give us God's message entitled, That You May Have Life. This is the word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made known through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of man. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will or of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried, This was He of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because He was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, our Lord. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He was made known. He has made him known. May the Lord bless us and grant us understanding of his word. Pastor Adrian. Good morning to, uh, <clears throat> good afternoon to the church that meets here in uh, ARPC at Bishan. Uh, if you are new with us, you probably um, have uh, uh, realized that uh, we are starting a series of studies and we are going for this year uh, looking at the Gospel of John and we will be looking at 11 chapters uh, for the beginning of 2023. And I pray that you will uh, follow uh, the sermon series as we learn from God's Word together. <clears throat> so for today, we will be looking at the first chapter uh, the first few verses, not, not really few, but 18 verses of uh, chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to leave it open at uh, uh, chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. We will be looking at what is called the introduction or the prologue. Now, when I was a kid, I watched a lot of TV shows every night. And that's why I flunked a few subjects in school. Now, I followed some favorite TV shows for years uh, so much so that to this day, I still remember their theme songs. You know the theme songs? The music that is always played at the opening sequence of each episode. So the opening, the intro, they didn't, have, they didn't just have music. They had a narrative, a narrative prologue, a narrative intro to it. And I remember them too, vividly. 
see if you can name the TV show from the intro. Uh, listen to this intro. Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. Gentlemen, we have, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better, stronger, faster. And then you have the music. Do you know that TV show? It's the Six Million Dollar Man. Now, if you don't, don't know what I'm talking about, it means that you're very, very young. Here's another one. Michael Knight, a young loner on a crusade to champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, the powerless, in a world of criminals who operate about the law. And then there's music. You know that TV show, right? Yeah. The Knight Rider, David Hasselhoff, you know, who keeps his tubby always in for many years. Now, what do these intros have in common? What do they have in common? Well, they all provide you the genesis. They all give you the beginning story of the main character. They provide you the important background. Because the intro also tells you, uh, tells the viewer who the hero is. And that each episode, henceforth, each episode is always going to be about the hero. And so each episode is about the $6 million man, what he is capable of doing. He doesn't only lift things, he can see far, he can hear far. Each episode is about the Knight Rider. At least to the women, it is about the Knight Rider. To the men, it's about the talking car. Now, intros or prologues, they serve to point us to the main character. Today's passage, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, is actually an intro. It's a prologue to the entire gospel. It sort of prepares you that the whole book, that the whole book is about this character. And so the prologue gives you a brief genesis, the beginning of the main character. And so if you look at chapter 1, um, what is the genesis of the character? Well, first line, uh, we were told, doesn't begin with long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It doesn't begin that way. But rather, it says instead, in the beginning. In the beginning, which means much, much farther than long, long time ago. And so it takes us all the way to the book of Genesis, where the same phrase, if you notice, is used in the opening. The phrase, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. And so you will notice that John actually weaves his intro. He weaves his intro with the creation account. So one could actually say that John, the, the gospel writer, he provides details to the creation account. I think it's a brilliant way of narrating the story because you actually see that method in many dramas today. You know, sometimes uh, they will uh, uh, add another scene to a past scene. And in so doing, they are adding more details to a past scene. So in Genesis, we read of God saying, let there be light. And there was light. In Genesis, we read of God saying, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. And it was so. So we read of God saying, let there be, 
and then it was so. It demonstrates for us the power of his word, the authority of his word. And so John weaves his intro with the creation account, giving us more details. And the details are these. Next slide. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And so John's point, which is not to be missed in this intro, is that the Word existed way, way back before the beginning. His point was that the Word was with God. The Word was, in fact, God. And the Word also was active when God created the heavens and the earth. And it was through the Word that God created the world. And so what John did was that he provided extra scenes, if you will, uh, added to our creation account. Well, there was the Word. Who was this Word? And by the end of the prologue, in verses 17 to 18, we will know that John reveals him, this word, to be none other than Jesus Christ. And so first important point in this whole prologue, in this whole intro is this. Next slide. Jesus is God. I'll use some mathematical equation for today. Jesus is God. Which means that Jesus, the main character, the focus of this whole gospel of John, Jesus, he is God. And he existed way, way back before the beginning. And so to John's hearers, mostly the Jews, who have accepted that God created the universe through his creative spoken word, John now tells them that it was through the person of the word that God created all things. And so yes, Jesus is God, yet God is not just Jesus. Because God created the world through Jesus, who is God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Actually, John is not alone in declaring that Jesus was the agent in creation. We read also of this truth uh, in Hebrews, for instance. Hebrews tells us that God created the world through Jesus, his Son. We read the same from Colossians. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. And so Jesus is God. He was there before the beginning. And because he is God, Jesus isn't born yesterday. So that was the point that John is telling his readers. Jesus wasn't born yesterday. He was not the new kid on the block. He is, on the other hand, creator. He is everlasting. And he, John continues, he is the source of life. And so he says in verses 4 to 5, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Second point, Jesus is life and he is also light. So you will notice soon that the themes of life and light and darkness, 
They will keep coming up. They will keep propping up in this gospel. Notice, too, that they appear in the creation account, right? God called for light, which solved the problem of darkness. God called for light, and that enabled life to exist. So I don't know about you, but I've read of scientists concurring that water alone, the existence of water alone in planets will never permit life to exist. Uh, because for life to exist, light will be needed. Well, of course, aside from that, you will need a correct temperature and so on and so forth. I am a fan of keeping house plants. And uh, through trial and error, in other words, after murdering a few plants for some time, I finally became convinced that growing light, growing light is needed for houseplants to survive. Why? Because watering uh, alone won't be sufficient. Watering alone won't do. So in Jesus was life, John tells us. And the life was the light of men. Light is necessary for life, and Jesus is going to refer to himself in this gospel as the life. He will say, I am the resurrection and the life. He will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus will also claim to be the light. He will say, I am the light of the world, two times, in chapter 8 and in chapter 9. And so if Jesus is the light and the life, guess what? You and I badly needed him, don't we? Because by default, we all live in darkness without light. And so if you and I live in darkness, all you need to do is just like the plant, give it some time, and you and I are going to shrivel away. You and I are going to die. It leads to death. And the theme of darkness in John's gospel will keep appearing because it's going to describe evil. It's going to describe rebellion. It's going to describe of how people love darkness rather than the light. Why? Because light only exposes their wickedness. Kind of like, you know, switching the light on at night and then seeing all the cockroaches scampering into the nooks because these creatures hated the light. They love darkness. And so John tells us that Jesus is God in his intro. Before the beginning, Jesus is existent. He is God. He was with God, which also means that Jesus is, or rather God is not just solely Jesus. Jesus is God's agent in creation. Everything was made through him. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light that we all need. The light which the darkness, which those who oppose him will always hate. And so moving on, John says in verses 10 to 11, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So in these two verses in the intro, uh, the writer is preparing the reader to learn that despite God coming in the flesh, despite God performing signs to reveal his glories, the ones you would expect to receive him will be the ones who would reject him. See, his own people did not receive Jesus. 
And what do we know about these people? Well, this is what Jesus described about them. Consider Jesus' words to them. In 39 to 40, Jesus tells them, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. So what do these two verses say? Well, the very people that one would expect to surrender to God, embrace Him, uh, study His Word, give up all for Him, are the ones who probably love to study the Word of God and His Word, but refuse to love Him. And though this indictment was originally directed to the Jews, it has a message for us all today. Message for us who may delight in example, listening to sermons, reading the Bible, engage in religious disciplines, but refuse to bow to Jesus and continue, but continue to live in darkness. We refuse to surrender to His rule in some areas of our lives. For example, we say, Yes, Jesus forgives, but that's him. To each his own. He forgives, but that's him. I could not for the life of me. Or we say, Jesus trusts his Father to forgive, but that's him. I, on the other hand, I want to be sensible. I want to be practical. I want to be free from worries. And so in some areas of our lives, Jesus is not Lord. But here's the good news, verses 12 to 13. John says, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the good news is conversion, my friends, is not self-willed. Conversion is not self-will. You and I cannot work our way to know and follow God. Becoming God's children is fully God's work. It is God's Spirit who convicts us of sin. It is God's Spirit who draws us to the saving grace that is found in Jesus. And so this truth, on one hand, humbles us. Because you and I cannot pat ourselves on the shoulder and say, see, you and I made a wise choice and we chose Jesus. But at the same time, it assures us. Because if it's the Spirit's work, then when Jesus chooses us, we will be chosen for eternity. And so it both humbles us and at the same time assures us, lest we get puffed up and congratulate ourselves for making the right choice in following Jesus. You know what this means for us? Parents, listen, parents cannot will their children to believe and follow Jesus. They cannot. They can faithfully teach Jesus. They can be always winsome, try to win them to faith. But in the end, salvation is the work of God alone. In the same way, children who grow up coming to church, aka dragged to church, children who are dragged to church coming to church, 
grow up coming to church must never assume that they kind of got this uh, Christian faith all figured out and so conclude that they must be children of God. Because unknown to them, they may still be living in darkness because salvation requires God's work of rescue. We need God's work for us. We need God's work for them to see our need for Jesus and run to him for the life he offers and be made children of God. Next point. John the Baptist is not equivalent to Jesus. Now, it is interesting to note that although the uh, intro, the prologue, is supposedly focused on Jesus, it's supposedly focused on his background story and his mission, the gospel writer gives some space to John the Baptist. Look at verses 6 to 8. Next slide. He writes, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Same name, but different person. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so what was the gospel writer's point? This is his point. John the Baptist is not Jesus. John the Baptist is not the light. He is not Jesus. His role, rather, is to be the witness, to testify, to point to the light. And so twice in the intro, the writer says that John the Baptist came to bear witness to the light. He came to bear witness to the light. John the Baptist is not the light. Rather, he is the witness. But that's not all of what is said about John the Baptist. In verse 15, the writer tells us, verse 15, next slide, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he, he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And so what's his point? John the Baptist is not greater than Jesus. He is lesser than Jesus. John the Baptist, who is the witness, he is not greater than Jesus. John, in fact, said it himself about Jesus. He said, Jesus ranks before me, although he comes after me. Now, Christmas is just over, but you and I probably have read uh, the account of Jesus' birth. Mary, Elizabeth, and we know from Luke's gospel that John the Baptist was senior to Jesus, right? He is older than Jesus by, by how many months? Trivia, trivia? By about six months. Six months. Uh, John the Baptist is senior to Jesus, older by six months. So in a sense, John came before, Jesus came after. Yet, Jesus' ranking is higher because Jesus was actually far senior to John. Jesus was from way, way back. In the beginning, remember? In the beginning, the Word. And so John, the Gospel writer, tells us John the Baptist is less than Jesus. 
And so if the intro ought to talk about Jesus, why does the gospel writers devote some space here in the prologue to talk about John, about his role, about his rank, who he is, and, and, and who is, he is not? Well, the likely reason is so that the remnant followers of John the Baptist will cease, will stop assembling as followers of John. Why? Because John, in fact, had always pointed his disciples, everybody, to Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, John will later say. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Lamb of God, John would point to his students. And you will read in the Gospel of John that later, when some people were concerned uh, that many were flocking to Jesus and his disciples to be baptized, they came to John to report of their observation. You know how did John respond? John couldn't care less. He told them that uh, he's, not he's not concerned about competition or market share. John said to them, I am not the Christ. I am merely the one sent before him. He tells them that I am the friend of the groom who will rejoice for the groom. He must increase and I must decrease. That's what John said. You know, many years ago when I attended uh, my orientation at the uh, Registry of Marriage uh, in order to uh, get my license to solemnize marriages, the uh, Justice of Peace who gave us the orientation and gave us some tips uh, told us, and she said, remember, as the solemnizer, remember to never steal the show. <laughs> never steal the show. What does she mean? She said that on the day of the couple's wedding, uh, as a solemnizer, you can say things that are funny if the couple is nervous. You, know, you can uh, crack a joke or two if the parents are unhappy and their faces are long. But do not be too xiao. That's what, that's what she said. Do not be too xiao. Why? Because this is the couple's wedding, not yours. Somebody else is the groom, not you. And this also means that if you happen to be taller than the groom or maybe younger looking than the groom, you better stay far, far away from the groom because this is not your wedding. You're not the groom. And so do not steal the show. And so when I heard that, I suddenly remembered John the Baptist in the Gospel of John. He was the one who will not want to steal the show. And as the friend of the groom, he rejoices that the groom now gets the following. John said, he must become greater, I must become less. John knew that he is not the main attraction. The show is not his. But the show belongs to Jesus, his Lord. And so like the friend of the bridegroom, he will wait on him, he will listen for him, he will stand aside for him, making sure that all gaze is not on him, but on Jesus. Because all attention is to the Lord. All gaze must be on the groom. Jesus must increase. We must decrease. Well, you know, sometimes people are tempted to steal the show. Right? I remember attending a wedding celebration where the best man did a lot of crazy things. Uh, said a lot of inappropriate things in his speech. 
and he ends up stealing the limelight uh, from the groom. And when the banquet is over and the guests go home, everybody remembers the best man for his silly antics. Nobody remembers the groom. Nobody remembers the bride. The gospel writer says it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, not the John the Baptist. Even John the Baptist himself says so. And so the exhortation for us who preach and teach the Bible is this, that gospel work is never about you. It's never about what's in it for you. It's never about how to draw people to you. Instead, it's about leading people away from you and to the Lord Jesus. Gospel work is about teaching people to obey Jesus' commands and not your commands. Gospel work is about exhorting people to take to heart Jesus' words and not your words. Why? Because Jesus is the bridegroom. You are not. And we, the church, wait for the bridegroom. And so the groom must increase and you and I must decrease. John the Baptist is not Jesus. He is less than Jesus. Next and last point. Jesus is all about grace. So I place it before you, hashtag grace, meaning that if you think about grace, it must lead you to think about Jesus. So the gospel writer tells us in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verses 16 to 18, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So question, to what extent will you go to make yourself known? To what extent will you go to show your love for the other? So when my dad uh, was in his 50s, uh, he um, left the family to become a migrant worker in Taipei, worked in a factory in order to provide for the family. And uh, I remember when he was away, we missed him a lot. My mother missed him a lot. And so whenever his letters would arrive, mom would read them to me and my siblings uh, because the letters were written in Chinese and she had to translate it to Hokkien so that we could understand it. Letters were the only way for dad to bring himself close to us because at that time, long-distance calls were very costly. Letters were the only way for dad to be close to us. And then dad would uh, mail us his recorded voice through a cassette tape. You know what's a cassette tape? If you don't know what's a cassette tape, you're very young. And hearing his voice, and although it was recorded, made us feel that he was just nearby. But when my mother was stricken with tuberculosis and dad heard about it, he uh, quit his job and flew back immediately knocked on the door to my mother's surprise and 
daylight. That was the extent dad did. After sending letters, after shipping us a box of instant noodles, because, you know, Taiwanese instant noodles are good. After mailing a cassette tape, dad finally arrived in the flesh. What more with God? The extent God went to make himself known to us. What's the extent? God condescended to us. He stooped to our level. The word became flesh and bones and dwelt among us. The glory took on inglorious body, this mortal medium, so that you and I may know him, so that you and I may find life in him. That was the extent God went so that he may show us his love and so that we may know him. So when I read this, I remember a song, The Love of God, that tells us of how he was, the son was locked in time and space without rank or place. That was the extent God went so that we may know him and find life in him. Was this author by the name of Shane Hips who uh, wrote about, uh, on, uh, about technology and he, he reflects on the incarnation. God using this medium, the flesh, to make himself known, to reveal of himself. And he writes, and let me quote, In Jesus Christ, God's medium and message are perfectly united. The most complete revelation of God to that point was expressed in Jesus. It is a message that radiates from every part of his being. God emanates not only from Jesus' teachings, but also from his life. Even his birth proclaimed a message. What was the message? I am not a distant God high in heaven. I am a God who joins you, who experiences the hardships of this life, one who suffers with you. I am compassion. His acts of healing spoke clearly. Spoke what? That I not only suffer with you, but I am God who longs to ease, transform, and release you from your suffering. His longest teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, is not difficult to decode. The message was, love matters more than any other commandment. Love yourself, love your neighbor, and even your enemies in the same way you love me. And ultimately, love has no opposite, no reversal. His death carried a message. And the message is, I live dangerously. Following me is not for the faint of heart. You will lose this world, but gain your soul. Following me will cost some of you everything, but it will transform the world. How about his resurrection? It's not so bad losing your life. Death is not the true end. It's a birth into a world where every tear is wiped away and a new life where all suffering dissolves like a salt cube in the boundless sea of God's compassion, peace, 
and love. And he ends by saying, Jesus is God's perfect medium. And the medium is the message. Which means that when Jesus came into the flesh, his coming in this inglorious body already spoke volumes. That is probably the reason why John says that in Jesus we have received grace upon grace. God's people received grace from the law that came through Moses because through the law, God's people received revelation from God. Through the law, God's people came to know of Him, of His will, of His desires, of His ways. They were graced recipients of God's laws by which they come to know God. And the law also shows that they were graced by God because out of many peoples in the world, God chose Israel, rescued Israel from slavery, and made them his own, and gave them his laws. But now, the coming of God's Son to dwell with us is grace upon grace. It is grace on top of grace. Furthermore, Moses in his time, you remember, he couldn't see God face to face. God has just to passed by him, zoom, and he could only sense God passing by him. He could only hear God declaring to him, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So what Moses merely heard the Lord God say, John and the disciples, John and the disciples would say, we have seen what Moses merely heard. John and the disciples has seen, have seen. We have seen his glory, John says. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, who is similarly full of grace and truth, who is similarly full of love and faithfulness. And so, though no one has ever seen God, he is now made known. He is now seen in Jesus, God's Son. Medium and message who pitched his tent and dwelt amongst us. Medium and message who made God the Father known. That is grace upon grace. So that is the prologue. That is the intro to John's Gospel. It points us to Jesus. It tells us that Jesus is God and that no one else is on par with him. Everybody else is lesser than him. In Jesus is life because he is the light. And in Jesus, it's all about grace because in him we experience grace upon grace. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you, for you have chosen to condescend to us, stooping to our level, that we may know you in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus, that through him we may know your will, and that through him we may have life, because he is the light. And so I, my prayer is that we will continue to know your Son, Jesus, deeply, 
And for us who have not yet experienced what salvation in Jesus entails, may the study of this gospel lead them to find life in Jesus. Run to him for forgiveness. Run to him in repentance. Run to him to have Jesus as their new Lord and master of your life and be made children of God. This is my prayer.